Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I start with a plug from my son, Hunter. It is the two-year anniversary of the release of The Laptop from Hell, and why not celebrate by going to mysonhunter.com and getting your DVD copy of the movie. We weren't sure we were going to do a DVD release. We decided at the last minute we're going to do it, and it's a great way to commemorate the occasion. And if you buy multiples, then you will get a discount. So it's a great way to have that physical medium that uh, a lot of you guys like, or physical media, I guess is a better way to put it. All right, there's no monologue today as I was in travel mode and did not do the live show to give a speech to the group at Turning Point USA at their West Coast Summit that they have going on. But we do have two great guests for you. First is Breitbart News Vice President of Communications, Elizabeth Moore, who's also a poll worker and uh, she works at one of her local precincts. She explains the importance of this civic responsibility, tells you how you can get involved in your community and gives you some pointers to survive the long day of protecting the Republic from saboteurs. I wish I was uh, understating that, but I'm not. Then we speak to Monica Crowley, former treasury official under President Trump and a fill-in host for me on the live show on Sirius XM Patriot 125 from time to time. She's pretty terrific on a lot of topics, especially the economy, which is the biggest thing going, let's be honest. So uh, always a great chat with her and let's get into it. on the line. Her name is Elizabeth Moore, and she is the Vice President of Communications at Breitbart News and someone who helps me quite a bit on the show and in other parts of my life and knows a fair bit about a super important topic, which is the polls, how the polls work, how to work there, what you could do. And she knows from personal experience, Elizabeth, great to have you on the broadcast. Good morning, Alex. Thanks for having me on the show. It is nice to talk to you on the air versus merely on the phone, which is how we tend to interact. Um, but it was interesting because you and I were going back and forth. I think it was based on a caller who was talking about the importance of poll watching and working at the polls. And you reminded me that you have done this in the past and it's an important part of your life. And in fact, that you got into it specifically because of Andrew Breitbart. And then I was thinking, well, why don't you just come on and talk to us about it? And that's why we're here. Uh, and so I want to start with how you got involved and what you've done uh, at the polls, what responsibilities you've had, and what made you think that you're a busy person and you have a family and successful career and decide, I'm going to spend some time at the polls uh, and help out my community in that way. Give me the whole whole backstory. All right, great. Well, first of all, I just want to say my message to the listeners today is go to your local board of elections, sign up to be a poll worker, get trained and get thee to the polls on election day so that we have eyes on the process. Very important. As you said, I was inspired by Andrew Breitbart to get involved in politics. I read Righteous Indignation when it came out in 2011, and it really was a life-changing book for me. I did not like what I was seeing Um, I didn't like what was happening in politics locally and nationally, and that book made me feel like I could get involved and I could do something. So I volunteered at my board of elections. Now, when I say volunteer, um, in my neck of the woods, I live in a, a red state but a blue county. 
you do get paid. It is nominal, but you are paid for the work. Um, I went, I signed up, and they have training classes, multiple sessions, mornings, afternoons, evenings, Sundays. But I can't emphasize enough how important it is to get trained. You need to know the laws. You need to know the voting rules because you will be confronted, I can almost guarantee it, with situations that require you to know what to do. For example, what are the voter ID laws in your neck of the woods? And what if somebody comes in with documentation that doesn't match what's allowed? How do you handle that? Um, There's just a lot to know, and it's also very hard work. I'm not going to lie. It's a long day. Right. It seems like a long day, and and that's intimidating to me. So walk us through the day, what responsibilities you have, and what the day itself is like. Well, the day starts the night before. (laughs) Um, You have to go set up, at least where I live, you have to go set up the polls the night before because the polls open very early, 6 or 6.30 in most cases, and you need to have it set up and ready to go the night before. So that takes probably an hour, hour and a half. You get everything set up. You lock up the ballots at the polling location and everybody goes home and you meet back at the polls the next day an hour before the polls open. There are all kinds of tasks to be managed. Um, how far away from the poll do people who want to hand out literature have to stand? Um, you got to go mark that off and you got to have signage that indicates to people who are handing out um, election materials that they can't come any closer to the door than this spot that you have marked off. You got to make sure the ballots are ready. You got to make sure the sign-in process is ready. So it's a good bit of work in the morning. And then when the polls open, you don't stop all day. It's very, very busy. Um, and at the end of the day, you have to do some tabulations of the ballots and close down the polls. So you can count on working from, you know, call it 530 in the morning till 9 p.m. at night or later. So needless to say, the nominal amount of money you get paid doesn't reward you. But being a part of the process is the reward, knowing that you had eyes on the election and your Uh, precinct or at your poll and that the election was fair and square that's the reward and i can't tell you how important that is because if you don't show up to work the polls the democrats will fascinating so that is a really important point to remember uh, in fact that you you would almost suggest it could be the headline if we write this up (laughs) brightport.com no it it really is it really is (laughs) <laughs> okay, so 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 let's so let's talk about how to get involved because uh, this is the most important thing. Because I know some people are already thinking, "All right, I got to do it." Uh, how do you do it? How do you go about signing up with your board of elections and getting yourself a spot? And is there any chance you could get blocked by it? Is there any chance that someone goes in your social media and says that you you know sees a picture of you with a MAGA hat? Does that mean you're going to get blocked? Well, let me tell you. It, it can be a dicey process. First of all, usually it's your local board of elections. So you need to go. It's very easy, actually. You go online, um, at least in my case. You can sign up, go online, and get yourself all signed up. Um, the, uh, the tricky part is, at least, again, where I live, there are always plenty of Democrats willing to do this work, and there are never enough Republicans. Yes. And what happens is um, independents can also sign up. And when 
there aren't enough Republicans to fill the slots, they move to the pool of independents and fill those slots with independents. Guess who those independents tend to be? Uh, wait, 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 wait. Left-wingers? Liberals? Democrats? Is that a shock to you? Is that uh, a shock to you? I, I don't think so. So wait, so you're saying there actually are slots for Republicans across the country that are not being filled? Correct, because Republicans need to get out there and get engaged the way Democrats are. As we wow. know, Democrats tend to be very highly organized. Yes. And they show up and Republicans don't. Let me give you an example of my first experience at the poll. Um, it was actually 2011 in an off-year uh, election, so I had a little practice before the big show, which was the next year, Obama v. Romney. But I, uh, I showed up at my poll ready to go, and I noticed that my two, it was three uh, uh, Republican workers and three Democrat workers. I noticed my fellow Republicans were somewhat frosty to me, which didn't make sense. But, you know, whatever, I went about my business. We set up the poll the night before. The next day, we started our work. And um, my job was to stand by the voting machine where people slide their ballots in and hand out I voted stickers. That was what they wanted me to do, all five of mm. them. Yeah, including my including my Republican partners. You go stand over here away from the table where all the work happens and you hand out. I voted stickers Um, that did not sit well with me. I was calm. I was professional, but I was firmly resolute. We do not need to dedicate um, one person to hand out. I voted stickers. We can put those by the door on a table. I'm sitting at the table where the action is. Not to mention, yeah. I, I'm guessing that, and I, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm guessing that, you know, the more I voted stickers get out there, I'm guessing that does slightly enhance Democrat turnout. So it just does seem like they're still positioning you to, to help Democrats in a way. Just it's just oh, a thought. And and positioning me not to be able to see what was going on. So um, I, I was, again, calm, professional, but firmly resolute that I would be at the table where the action was. And they did finally agree to let me do that. But again, my Republican coworkers were incredibly frosty to me. As it turned out that year, there was a um, a ballot that the union, a, a ballot initiative that the unions were very interested in. Um, so the Democrats were for it, the Republicans were against it, and I noticed that my Republican coworkers were extremely enthusiastic about that ballot initiative passing. So, you know, took me a little time, Alex. I was born at night, but not last night. I did mm -hmm. finally figure out perhaps my Republican coworkers were not Republican at all. What? <laughs> wow. Shocking. The call was coming from inside the house. <laughs> Bingo. It just, it, just, it just seems like that this is, it's, it's so upsetting, and yet it is so not at all surprising that this is how this is going down. And you imagine this is taking place in just about every precinct across the country. Well, I have worked multiple elections, and it has been the case every time. I did get smart, and this is an important tip for listeners. Uh, ask your board of elections to be placed with an experienced Republican poll worker, or if you know someone who is really a Republican who has worked the polls, give them the name of the person that you want to work with, or get a friend or a family member or a couple friends and a couple family members who are conservative to do this with you and work together. It makes sure. a huge difference.
to have uh, a team that you know you can rely on as opposed to figuring out, wow, I'm a team of one here. I'm the only Republican here. Um, it was actually that experience that uh, taught me when I went to dig into it at my board of elections, taught me that those slots were filled with independents who were hard left-leaning independents, translation mm-hmm. Democrats. So again, um, it was a learning experience, but I can't recommend enough going with someone else who you know is a conservative and working. Yes, I, I, that's very smart. But I want to I want to ask if you have any sense of who's to blame. I don't mean to make it a blame game, but it's the are do we get the impression that this was probably a localized issue, or are we concerned that Republicans are allowing um, this to happen throughout the country? I'm very concerned that Republicans are allowing it to happen throughout the country. Think about your own poll when you go to vote. How many people are outside the polls passing out literature and encouraging you to vote for their candidates or look at the sample ballot for the Democrats or look at the sample ballot for the Republicans? Um, I will tell you right now, the Democrats, even outside, way outnumber the Republicans. Um, and I, I, I can conjecture why that is. I'd prefer not to, but I, I think, you know, they're just very organized and engaged and Republicans, when they don't get involved in the same way, are ceding the process to the Democrats, which we cannot afford to do. Um, I would like to get to the bottom of who has dropped the ball on this one, but it is that it is very disturbing, very disturbing to think about that you would be in that position and that you had to figure it out on your own just because you weren't community organized. You were inspired by Andrew Breitbart to get involved. And that's uh, and we know the vast majority of people who are showing up. These things are because they're a part of a network of uh, political people. That's how they're doing it. And if the Democrats are more organized, then we are making it much easier for people to cheat. And that's very disturbing. So let's talk about what you recommend. Um, if people want to get involved, what should they do? But more importantly, maybe it's time to start recruiting people, perhaps younger people. I think you mentioned that the pay is like 200 bucks a day or something. If that's the case, then, you know, a, a lot of people that won't mean a lot, but for some people that might mean quite a bit. So maybe younger people I'm thinking in particular, I mean, that would have been a small fortune for me when I was 18 or 20. It's um, what is the, maybe that's where you go to recruit or what do we do? Well, I can tell you right now, the left is already recruiting in the high schools. We're behind. On wow. wow. Um, look, it's no secret to your listeners, or it shouldn't be, that left-wing activism is just a part of high school right now. Um, with the teachers' unions um, and the requirements for service hours, a lot of schools will give students who are 18 and older um, service hours, in addition to that nominal pay that I discussed, to go work the polls. And those students, <laughs> I've spoken to some myself, are often informed not to register as Democrats, but to register as independents so they can get the Republican poll worker seats that will go empty because Republicans aren't showing up. Yeah. So so um, we need to do the same. We need to be doing the same kind of recruitment at high school and get people involved. Um, it, it's so important to free and fair elections that we have conservative eyes on the process. And again, you know, you got to be calm, you got to be cool, you got to be collected, 
you have to know the laws so that you can firmly but professionally enforce them or you will you'll see people skirting them um for example one time i i had a, a very close friend who was working a poll and a democrat candidate walked into the poll to thank all the poll workers and all the people voting mm, because sure. democracy would not be possible without you well that's electioneering you're not allowed to do that if you're not there to vote if you're not a member of that precinct you have to leave needless to say it was a republican poll worker who told that candidate you've got to go uh-huh. but if she hadn't been there what do you think would have happened of course elizabeth moore is with me she's the vice president of communications for us at breitbart news and she's talking about her experience as a poll worker and recommending that you all get involved and also start recruiting people perhaps younger people in your life who might have the time and might be incentivized by the sort of token pay you can get from that. Uh, and it is just know that if we don't do it, the left is just going to lap us or continue to lap us uh, on this front. And that will allow for a, a lot more electioneering on their behalf at a minimum. I think electioneering is the best case scenario of what we're going to get if more Democrats are running the polls and only Democrats are running the polls. So uh, so how do you, what are the criteria to become a poll worker? I'm sure it differs a little bit area to area, but in, in the ballpark, what are we looking at? Okay. Um, you have to be a registered active voter. Uh, you sign up usually at your board of elections. You can usually sign up online and then you need to get trained. And again, that training so important. You need to know the laws, you need to know the rules, and you need to be able to enforce them. And sometimes it can be tricky. I mean, I wasn't prepared initially for some of the things I experienced my first couple times out, but knowing the laws and the rules really helps. Um, and then working with a friend who you know is a conservative, asking your board of elections to place you with specific people who you know are also going to work the polls and are conservative, who will help you, who also will study the rules with you, um, makes a world of difference. Very good. Okay, so tell me about uh, the, that day. Now you're involved and it's going to be a long day. What do you recommend for people? Uh, let's say they've ideal, they, ideally they brought a friend with them, so they've got a they've got a bud there. But let's say they didn't pull that off. Any other recommendations? Pack a lunch, pack snacks. I mean, I know I, I sound like a mom here, but you're going to need it. You get very short breaks um, and very little time to eat. You're not going to be able to leave and go have a leisurely lunch somewhere. You're going to step off to the side and stuff a sandwich in your mouth and get back at it. Is there, um, is there a particular so, snack that poll workers like? Is it like the, the rich peanut butter <laughs> crackers? Is it, you know, Oreo cookie packet? Is it the fruit leather? Is it the segmented oranges, like orange slices? Capri Sun? Like, what, what are the things that... Donuts, baby. It's oh, donuts. donuts. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good day for your waistline, for sure. Um, yeah, that is probably, probably true. I don't no. know why, but everybody seems to bring down it. Um, no, that's, um, and, go on. Oh, anyway, um, I I would be lying to you if I told you it's a blast. It's it's not a ton of fun. No, it doesn't sound fun. But it sounds. But this is a civic duty. This is a responsibility for our. That we're not going to preserve our democracy that's constantly under attack 
by the likes of, you know, the Moggets if we don't uh, show. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a few things confused. I'm channeling <laughs> Joe Biden here again. Um, but it is a, no, but this is really important. And I, it is, uh, I feel like this is a bittersweet segment, uh, Elizabeth, because I'm trying to, I, I want people to get recruited here, but it shouldn't be you, the one who is doing this. It should be the Republican Party should be organized on this. And I've just seen, I've never been pitched anyone uh, trying to recruit people to the polls as a segment before on the radio show. And that's something that is truly, truly, out. it's beyond irritating. It's actually disturbing. We got a call for you. Uh, Paul, line two in South Carolina. Paul, what's on your mind? What's going on? My call. Um, I just wanted to know if you do volunteer for this job or this civic duty, as you say, what are the kind of things that you should be looking out for as far as cheating or things that are going a little funny? You know, what should we be looking out for? Because I know Terrific you can ask people who they, who they voted yeah. for and, and then mark it down. You know, what can we look for? Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and, and you can expand this, Elizabeth. What are things that you see or you could see or that you really need to be aware of? This is why it's important to know the rules and the laws. Um, one thing that I experienced, for example, was um, an elderly woman who couldn't see very well wanted to get some help reading the ballot. Well, needless to say, a Democrat poll worker was, uh, you know, off with wings on her heels to take this lady to uh, the booth and help her. And I was like, hold it. Hold it right there. This situation requires a Republican and a Democrat to help this woman. The Democrat is not allowed to go off to the booth alone with the voter and help. So, again, if I hadn't known the rules, that lady would have been helped by someone who possibly had an agenda. I know, hard to believe. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, Repu- the Democrat poll worker was not at all happy that I insisted on going back to the booth with them both. But I did. And we let that woman vote her own conscience without having um, any interference from the poll workers, which is exactly as it should have been, but it might not have been had I not been there. Um, another example, I, uh, at the Trump, uh, at the, at the Trump Hillary election, um, I was sitting at the check-in table and a woman came up with a utility bill as her form of ID and it had her mother's name and address on it. Now, uh, there was some hemming and hawing among the Democrats sitting at the table because you could tell they wanted to let her vote, but I was sitting there. And they said, you can vote provisionally. You can vote, and provisional votes are counted, but they're counted later, so we get time to investigate these kinds of issues. Um, And the woman was mad. She said, you know, last time you let me vote with us. So the previous time she cast a regular ballot and it's probably because there was no Republican there to say no, that you have to vote provisionally. So, it, again, the details, being steeped in the details of the laws and the rules are very important. Uh, Elizabeth Moore, Vice President of Communications at Breitbart, give us a final word on this and a final plea for people to get involved. All right, guys, elections are won precinct by precinct, one vote at a time. But if we're not there with eyes on the field to ensure fair play, you can almost be assured of unfair play. Voting as a citizen is your minimal duty, 
but please take it up a notch by helping to ensure fair elections. Get thee trained, get thee to the polls, and work the polls on election day. Nicely done. Thanks, Elizabeth. Come back soon. Great to be here. Thanks, Alex. Glad to have Monica Crowley back on the broadcast. She does a great job. She fills in for me on Sirius XM Patriot 125 and is deeply knowledgeable about a lot of issues, including MAGA and financial issues, etc. And it's kind of a fun hang on the air as well. So all good reasons to listen to the interview. Here it is. Hey, Monica, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> Hi, good morning, Alex. Always great to be with you. Yeah, same here. And we have a lot to talk about today. I want to talk a little MAGA with you and some elections. I want to talk about the... Uh, some panic happening in New York, where I know you spend a fair bit of time. But I want to start with the IMF suggesting that the uh, worst is yet to come, literally, uh, economically. I feel like there's a lot of people, particularly the guy who resides at 1600 Pennsylvania these days, seems to be in, in denial of this fact. Uh, but this is a big thing for uh, Americans. I don't know if the media is being forthright about this, but it seems like all the economic indicators that we're tracking is that we have not gotten past uh, the the we are not at the lowest point in this recession that we're in right now. Things could get much worse, not just in the United States, but globally. Uh, I want to get your take on this. Is there any d- data you're looking at that's striking you in particular? Well, you know, it's a really important question, and I, I don't think that many Americans are particularly focused on where we're headed on the economy, Alex, because obviously we've got the midterm elections looming in now less than a month. So a lot of people are focused on that and football and going back to school and and everything else that's going on in their lives. They understand that their own economic situation is much worse than it was certainly when President Trump was in office, when we had a booming economy. They understand every time they go to the grocery store or go to fill up their gas tank and look at that receipt. Um, And even in their own personal uh, situation in terms of their job security and everything else, They're feeling much more unease. They're experiencing the skyrocketing inflation in every direction. So they know that the economy is much worse. But to say that they're focused on what's coming, I I don't think that they are. And I understand that. When you say that President Biden um, is in denial about it, I'm going to take it a step further, Alex, and say that it's much worse than that. I think that it's not denial. I think they all know where we're headed, where it is going to get a lot worse. But the denial that you characterize, I think, is actually just lying. You know, all presidents put a gloss on things and all presidents spin things to, to make things look more positive. But this administration has not engaged in spin, Alex. This administration has just flat out lied about everything from inflation to the border to, to everything that they've inflicted on us. And I don't think that they're in denial. I think they know quite well that things are going to get a lot darker economically, not just for us, but for the West and really for the world. I think we're headed into a global recession. Um, and it's not just me saying this, but a lot of economic observers like Jamie Dimon, like uh, Larry Summers. I mean, we're talking Democrats who are saying, wait sure, a minute, you know, things have yeah, it's completely spiraled out of control. But my bigger point here, Alex, is that 
this is not denial. This is all by design. So when they say things like, oh, like like Biden on CNN last night, well, we might be headed into a recession, but it'll be very, very slight. First of all, we are already in a technical recession, two straight quarters of negative growth. We are already there. But they are simply buying time because they know things are going to get much worse. But again, it's all intentional because they need that period of time of really bad economic collapse in order to slam through their socialist agenda. So keep that in mind every time you hear any Democrats, particularly from the administration, talk about the U.S. economy. Janet Yellen said on CNBC that she is in good company in failing to see that inflation would increase and remain as persistent as it has. Uh, I don't find that to be a good excuse. We were warning about a recession in massive inflation at Breitbart for feels like a year. And she's Treasury Secretary, so she should know better. And I don't think it's an okay thing just to say that, oh, well, I'm in good company, so that excuses me screwing up royally and misleading the public. Uh, but I also think what's uh, interesting is that she has she also announced that the economy is doing very well now. And we don't know if we could be in a recession six to nine months, but now we're doing very well. Uh, she just admitted that she airballed on the biggest economic story of the Biden administration, which is the Biden inflation. She didn't know what was going on. She's admitting it. But then she's telling us like as if it's some sort of a comfort that things are doing well. We can all see our own bank statement. We can see what the interest rates are. Uh, we know what morale is like right now in the country. We know how much we're paying at the pump at the grocery store. Uh, it's a, How could she lie to us right to our face like this? Yeah. Well, let's break this apart, Alex. So when she says things are, quote, going well, as she did yesterday or the day before, it's because the only strong economic indicator out there is a strong labor market. Right. Okay. So so that's the only thing that they have going. So they're hanging all of their positive statements on that one economic indicator when everything else is going straight into the crapper. So that's number one. Number two, let's take a step back for a second. Okay. Janet Yellen, who is the current Treasury Secretary, was the head of the Fed. Okay. She had Jerome Powell's job for a long time. She was also Bill Clinton's top economic advisor. Okay. So this is a woman who knows the economy. She's misguided, but she's not stupid. Jerome Powell has been around the economy for a long time. He is now currently the head of the Fed. What I'm saying here is that these are not stupid people. These are not babes in the woods when it comes to the economy. So when we say, oh, you know, they, they misled us or they didn't know, that's nonsense. They knew for a year and a half that this um, inflation was going to be entrenched. I mean, Alex, you and I are not Uh, We're not steeped in the economy the way they have been their entire careers. And you and I have been screaming since April of 21, right after they passed the uh, American Rescue Plan and pumped, you know, another, what, trillion dollars into this economy that we don't have. When the inflationary spiral started way back then, we were screaming about it. How could we see it? And Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, Joe Biden has been around the block more than once. And they didn't. Of course they did. And I'm sick and tired of people giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, they said it was going to be transitory because, 
you know, they just didn't know. Of course they knew. This is all by design. It's all going according to plan. This is about imploding the U.S. economy so that they can rebuild it in this collectivist neo-Marxist vision. That's all that this is. And every line that they have given to us about the economy and, frankly, about everything else has been a straight-up lie on purpose. Yeah, this uh, speaks to your point about how this is all intentional, because if she's looking at just the the uh, unemployment number, which is incredibly low, but we know that wages are not keeping up with inflation. And I think that's across the economy. Of course, the poor working class could hit the hardest, but in middle class, um, I, I mean, it, it, that does seem like the who's getting raises that are commensurate with the inflation. I mean, no one is. I don't think there's a single sector of the economy that's seeing that. Some are doing worse than others. And then what is the rhetoric from the left side of the aisle right now is that we still need to keep our border open. In fact, we need to actually import more uh, immigrants into the country to compete with Americans for jobs. And it is, it does seem like they're trying to do things to make things difficult for Americans. And they're not, they, they are lying to us and they are managing our decline. And they're not really focused on what are the policies that will get Americans thriving. And the energy sector is just the, the key point of this, Monica, because the best thing that people could do bottom line right now in washington is to make it so that energy is cheap and abundant and and that will get us through this and they won't do it they won't do it and we even see that what biden does backfires there's a buried line in the wall street journal from yesterday that after biden's opec uh, visit his visit to saudi arabia opec plus reduced the level of barrels that they were going to put out based on the interaction with biden he actually sabotaged us whether inadvertent or inadvertent he there's less oil right now on the market because of Joe Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia in August. <laughs> yeah, I was told America would be back under yeah. Joe Biden, weren't you, right. Alex? Yeah, that's Astrophone? precisely what I was told. Yeah, right, right. Well, look, I mean, it's a total humiliation for the United States to have the American president go hat in hand to Saudi Arabia and beg them, among others, for oil when we are sitting atop more energy resources than any other nation on the face of the earth. We don't need a single other nation. We don't need Saudi. We don't need Russia. We don't need Venezuela. We don't need any of these energy producing countries. And under Trump, we actually got there to energy independence so that we weren't relying on these regimes that really don't like us very much. And we became a net exporter. So not only were we serving America's energy interests and keeping prices low for the American consumer, but we were exporting. So we were actually making a profit off of the resources that we have. But you've got to take a step back and ask yourself, why? So why has the energy sector been so under attack from this administration? And the answer is very clear. The energy sector is the biggest lever available to the radical left to re-engineer the U.S. economy, to restructure it um, away from economic freedom for the American people and toward economic dependence. So while the left always talks about climate change and care for the environment, they might have some top line concern about those issues, but that's not what's really driving them. What's driving them is using energy because energy is built into everything we consume, 
use that as a lever to rejigger the entire U.S. economy into this more collectivist, neo-communist kind of model. That's why they're doing this. That's why they will not back off from what they're doing. And, you know, when it comes to politics, look, in the past, most Democrats would back off from failing policies, um, you know, failures to us, but to the left, these are wild successes. So just understand that. But just out of the need for pure political survival going into an election like this, they would back off from some of these policies. I mean, even Jimmy Carter began to back away from, you know, the, the uh, after the invasion of Afghanistan, he started to bulk up the military. The military buildup actually started under Jimmy Carter, and then Reagan put it on steroids. But Democrats in the past, like Bill Clinton, even Barack Obama to some extent, would back off a little bit. You see none of that with Joe Biden. Why? Because Donald Trump was not supposed to be elected in 2016. We were supposed to have eight years of Obama and then eight years of Hillary, who was going to lock it all in so that that fundamental transformation of the nation was irreversible. Trump comes in, starts solving all of America's problems, and they flipped out. They denied him the election. And and so this is why they have been working with all deliberate speed to make up lost time. Those four years lost, quote unquote, under Donald Trump, where he was solving our problems and making life great for the American people by putting America first. To them, that was an epic disaster. So you see the inversion. We're looking at this as an epic disaster, but they're looking at this as a great success. Monica Crowley, again, is my guest, and you can hear her podcast, Monica Crowley Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Let me ask you about... A New York issue, which is New York City is struggling to deal with the very minor influx of illegal immigrants that have been bussed to them. And I know that this is taking place across the country as well. I think this is just going to encourage the governors of uh, Texas and Arizona and Florida and others to ship illegal migrants to other parts of the country that are allegedly sanctuary cities. I've seen no intelligent response from the liberals who run these cities and states. Uh, Have you? And do you think that this is just going to continue from here? So there are two things going on. One is the overarching reason why Joe Biden has the open border and refuses to take any action. This is why all of these policies, Alex, you know, are intentional, because, again, any other normal politician, just out of sheer force of wanting to politically survive, would reverse some of these. You would see you would see a course correction. But you've seen none. So specifically with regard to the border, the reason he's keeping it open is Cloward and Piven. This is all about overwhelming America's systems in order to destroy them so that you can rebuild them in your own communist image. And that includes the open border. It's about changing America's demographics and imploding the country. So most Democrats understand that. Eric Adams in New York understands what's going on. Um, uh, Mayor Mayor Bowser in D.C. understands what's going on. So they don't want to take on the National Party with regard to the over, uh, you know, overarching objective of the open border because they get it and they're on board. The problem for them is they're trying to govern cities, 
they're not on this. They're all on these ideological jihads, but they've got to govern their their individual cities where their people are much closer to them than Joe Biden is to the average American. So they're all really mad because now they've got to house and clothe and feed you know, tens of thousands of illegal immigrants. In New York, there have been about 20,000 illegal immigrants who have been bussed into the city. That's about uh, three days worth, three to four days worth of what an average Texas border town experiences. Okay, so he's been complaining about this when Texas and Arizona and other border areas have been dealing with this on a daily basis now for almost two years. So, look, these Democratic mayors, they, they know what's actually going on, but they've got to govern. But they're out there complaining about the, the Republican governors like Abbott in Texas and Ron DeSantis, who's been flying them up to Martha's Vineyard in a master stroke. They're all complaining about the Republican governors rather than complaining about the Democratic president who's allowing this to go on and purposely so. And we know why that is. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. Look, if, if Mayor Adams really wants an end to this so that he can try to salvage his city and focus on the actual real problems going on in New York, like astronomical crime, uh, driving people out of the city in droves. Well, all he has to do, Alex, is pick up the phone. He's got a president of his own party. I'm sure Biden would take that call and lean on him and Mayor Bowser and anybody else lean on the president and the White House to stop it. But they won't because they are are fully aware of what the bigger agenda is. Uh, Well said. So let me ask you about this primary, not this primary race, this midterm election. What races are you looking at that are um, most compelling to you, most interesting? Is there any piece of information that you think are uh, underreported that you want to note to the audience? Yeah, so uh, two House races I'm watching, Myra Flores on the Texas border. She won in a special election, and she's really a bellwether of the massive flight of Latino voters away from the Democratic Party toward the Republican Party. I'm watching her race because Democrats have targeted uh, her, obviously. They'd like to regain that seat, but she's looking very good. Uh, She's done a great job in the short time that she's been there. So I'm watching that as an indicator of the Hispanic vote. I'm also watching Rhode Island, too, uh, because, you know, not a lot of people pay attention to, at least on our side, to the uh, New England side of things because it literally does not have a single Republican uh, member of the House. But Rhode Island, too, could flip from Democrat to Republican. We've got an excellent candidate there. And in that district, it's just sort of a perfect storm away from the Democrats toward the Republicans. That should come in relatively early on election night, Alex. And if that flips, Rhode Island, too, if that flips Republican, that should be a pretty good indicator of where we're going to go the rest of the night. So those are the two races in the House I'm watching. In the Senate, I am fascinated by, by three big bellwethers, Oz. Uh, and Fetterman. Fetterman is not fit to serve in the U.S. Senate. Um, You know, I feel for him. I hope he gets the medical attention he needs. But yesterday he tried to do a friendly um, and basic interview with MSNBC, and he couldn't even make it through that. He couldn't hear. He couldn't understand. So Pennsylvania is a race that I'm watching very closely. Nevada, Adam Laxalt, looks like he's going to defeat 
uh, Mastro, which would be a huge pickup for us. And he's got a ton of momentum doing very well. And Blake Masters in Arizona um, over Mark Kelly, that would be another huge pickup for us and a, and a, a major victory. And I think he's going to pull it out. Carrie Lake, I love. I think she's going to win the governorship in Arizona. That's going to be huge. I think it, when she wins, she's going to give Ron DeSantis a run for his money in terms of being the best and most effective governor in the country. So uh, the, all of those are, are to the good. And there are a few other races I'm watching, but those are the key ones. Uh, one thing that's interesting about all those races that you listed, they don't have a single strong Democrat candidate running. There's not one person that is a good candidate. Some of them are okay on paper, or Mark Kelly's pretty good on paper, but he can't. Uh, is He's completely unpersuasive and doesn't show leadership in terms of his uh, legislative record in terms of any of the debates. And then just about uh, everyone else is just a, you're, these are particularly weak crop of Democrats. I'm wondering if this has just always been the case, and maybe I'm just paying closer attention. I'm more sensitive to it this year, Monica. But uh, isn't it striking, though, how they don't have a single strong candidate, it appears, in one of these crucial races that is going to decide the second half of the Biden administration? Yeah, it's a really great point, Alex, and thank you for raising it. I also want to mention uh, the J.D. Vance, uh, Tim Ryan race as well, because J.D. Vance just flattened Tim Ryan the other day. And in fact, I tweeted this because I'm watching a lot of these Senate debates and the Republican candidates are incredibly strong and they're fighting back, which is a great lesson that they have all taken from Donald Trump, which is you don't let your opponent get away with anything. You don't pander to them. You don't pander to the press, whether it's local or national press. You just fight back for America and for the American people. And if you do that, you will win. So J.D. Vance and Blake Masters and Adam Laxalt, I mean, they've all been wiping the floor with these Democratic candidates, to your point. And the Democrats just look like deer in the headlights. They're not particularly strong with regard to their records. You're right. But in their debate performances, they're just sort of standing there and not they try to make some points, but. They all look incredibly weak. And I think that's a function of a couple of things. First of all, their policies have failed the American people. Um, They're succeeding if you're a raging socialist and want to change the country. But in terms of delivering for the American people, all of their policies have failed. So they're running away from their records. They're running away from their policies. And they're running away from the voters. And another big point, all of these Democrats throughout their entire careers have never had to answer a single challenging question because all of the press is on their side and they've been coddled and cosseted and protected their entire careers. So when they get up on a debate stage and they're asked maybe a tough question and then they've got an opponent who is finally a Republican opponent who's not afraid to fight back and put it right in their faces, like our Republican candidates have been willing to do, thank God, they don't know how to handle it. Alex, they're standing there and they are literally deer in the headlights. They're like babes in the woods. Tim Ryan the other night with J.D. Vance looking blankly ahead, paralyzed. Mark Kelly, too, same thing. I mean, all of these people, they have never been challenged. Look at Kamala Harris, for goodness sakes. Look at Joe Biden. They don't know how to answer a single question that's very basic, but a challenge to what they're doing. They are ill-equipped to do it. And that tells you everything you need to know about them, the Democratic Party, and the media. 
Yeah, I think that this is a point that bears repeating because we don't want to go down the same path on the right where the left has, they don't know how to debate. They don't know how to answer questions. You could see it. Even Joe Biden seems to get flustered when he gets challenged and he's supposed to be, you know, their top guy. And it's because they're so bubbled and we, we can't make that mistake. And I, and I don't, it has, uh, I think really hurt Democrats, I think in terms of their long-term prognosis so long as they so long as we're able to eventually close the border and they can't just keep importing new generations of democrats which is which is another issue monica crowley you can check out her podcast the monica crowley podcast and uh you could hear her on this station quite often filling in for me and others thanks monica always a pleasure alex thank you today's show. Thanks so much to producer Zach and Greg Evan for putting this together and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. I got stars in my